This is a Snow India production and you are listening to Climate Emergency. See, this is a, I would say, the first ever decision by uh, one of the high courts uh, in the country uh, where um, an order passed by the government directing closure of a massive industry run by a corporate giant uh, has been upheld by the high court. And the decision has largely relied upon the materials that have been placed before the court by the people of the uh, township of Tutukuri. The day she laid the foundation stone for the factory on October 31st, 1994, Tamil Nadu's late Chief Minister J. Jayalalitha hailed Vedanta's copper smelter in Tutukuri as a dream project in the process of industrializing the state. From court documents, data obtained through writer information applications and admissions by government authorities, Vedanta appears to have established a pattern of circumventing regulations right from the outset. The Madras High Court's August 18th ruling denying permission to reopen Sterlite Copper's facility is being hailed as a precedent-setting judgment for environmental jurisprudence in the country. The court blamed both the state's pollution control authority and government officials for enabling Vedanta's cause. Hi, I'm Kunal Shankar your host for this series on the Climate Emergency Podcast, a rare environmental victory in India. Episode 2. Why this judgment matters. On July 5th, 1997, six months since the plant became operational, 160 women from a nearby factory complained of breathlessness and vomiting. Some of them were hospitalized for a week. For the first time, mm-hmm. we were able to summon the collector. He just brought a bunch of keys and he told us, see, I've locked the company, I've locked the plants. It was a very painful moment, showing us mm-hmm. a bunch of keys. I've locked the company, he said. A commission was appointed by the district administration. It did not find fault with Vedanta's operations. We don't want you to tell us who is not guilty. If Sterlite is not guilty... Come on, tell us who is guilty for whatever happened on that particular day. Otherwise, another Bhopal might happen, killing thousands and thousands of people. This would be the first of several such complaints that would follow in the next two decades. About four months later, on August 20th, employees of the Electricity Board's substation located across the Sterlite plant complained of symptoms like those experienced by the women at the other factory. The electricity board employees had headaches, cough and breathlessness. Such incidents were routinely disregarded by district officials until late November 1998 when the Madras High Court for the first of many instances ordered the plant to be shut relying on a scathing report against Vedanta by the Nagpur-based National Environmental Engineering Research Institute or NIRI. The report highlighted that the copper smelter had come up within 14 kilometers from the shore when the norm for hazardous industries was 25 kilometers inland, particularly at ecologically sensitive zones like the Gulf of Mannar where Tutukuri is located. The closure was short-lived. 
it was overruled by the Supreme Court. And this would again be the first of many such instances. But it would also be the beginning of a long legal battle waged by several groups opposing Vedanta. Apart from sulfur dioxide, a significant byproduct of copper extraction is slag, an iron-rich substance. Slag, however, includes several other more toxic metals as well. It has many uses, like road building, which makes it commercially tradable commodity. Uh, the slag, if I take a little bit of slag and hold it, it's not going to poison me, uh, because the poisons, the poisons inside the slag are not mobile, are not easily mobile. They are held very tightly. But what happens when you have 1 million tons of uh, slag that is generated as a waste? And for every ton of copper concentrate, 2.2 tons of slag is produced, meaning Vedanta had been producing about a million tons of slag every year since 2008, the year the company had reached 400,000 ton production capacity. Uh, it has to be stored somewhere, storing it improperly or in the wrong place would expose the slag to the elements, which is wind and water and moisture and things like that. And that can have a very serious effect in terms of pulling out the toxins from the slag into the environment and making it airborne or making it available in the soil or into the, the water, uh, into the local hydrology. Sterlite CEO Pankaj Kumar disagreed with this assessment. If you go to smelters outside abroad, copper slag, is used as embankments to river banks at the sea as well. That is, all the elements in slag are fixed. In June 2001, residents living close to the Sterlites factory complained of toxic wastewater flooding their village reservoirs. TNPCB, again the state's environmental watchdog, blamed it on Sterlite. The company was simply asked to stop further releases. It was not asked to pay for the cleanup of the water bodies, Neither was it asked to compensate for loss of livelihood or possible health consequences. All this is stored in extremely large quantities. Mountains of it are stored inside the factory. In uh, 2010, the factory is closed down. Entire matter goes to the attention of the uh, Supreme Court and the Supreme Court sends a committee. The committee finds that they have a hell of a lot of slag and gypsum stored inside. And one of the conditions that was imposed on them was that they should try and dispose as much slag as possible. So under the orders of the Supreme Court, concentrated toxins in one place was taken and distributed democratically all through Tutukudi. About uh, three and a half lakh tons of uh, slag was disposed, was dumped on the banks of a river Upar in Tutukudi. Pollution Control Board found that 3.52 lakh metric tons of slag uh, were found dumped in huge mounds, and this had hampered the free flow of river Upar, causing floods in Tutukudin uh, town. TNPCB ordered Sterlite to build a barrier between the slag and the riverbank to prevent further leaching and to store it in impervious containers. Sterlite adopted a very ingenious argument before the court saying that I had disposed of the slag to private parties, owners of private properties, and uh, they had dumped the slag. 
Uh, it's not my responsibility anymore because slag being a material capable of a commercial transaction, it had gone out of my hand and therefore I'm not responsible for any kind of a dumping was their argument. Now that argument was rejected by the court because the court said you are the generator of this waste and right. it's your responsibility to contain the waste as per the conditions imposed by the Pollution Control Board. Since you have failed to do so, you have violated the condition. While sulfur dioxide emissions and slag dumps are well known, little has been known about the dangerous levels of mercury pollution until recently. Uh, but one of the things that is most infamous for uh, CNS or central nervous system effects is mercury. And mercury is part of the trace you know, uh, elements present in copper concentrate. And Vedanta was not reporting it. Uh, they had hidden the fact that there was mercury in the process. Other plants of copper smelters around the world have a mercury recovery system. And Vedanta proposed a mercury recovery system for the uh, plant that they were planning to set up a second plant. And they, they had a mercury recovery system in that. And what we find is that the company's emissions from the factory uh, were quite high in terms of mercury. And uh, they were released, there's about 25.91 tons of mercury that is not accounted for. And what needs to be understood is that the Unilever plant in Kodekanal was shut down for discharging just 7.9 kilograms of mercury. Kodekanal was the location for Hindustan Unilever's thermometer plant, which was forced to shut down in 2001 after a dump of crushed glass laced with mercury was found within the factory premises. There have been many comparisons between these two instances as both were grassroots campaigns that were fought in the courts as well. Uh, for 15 years, we had been trying every trick in the world to get the world to notice there's a massive injustice done by this a corporate giant called Unilever that was going around town trying to pretend as if it was the Mother Teresa of the corporate world. And then one of the several tricks that we tried was to avoid the media, boycott the media almost entirely because the media was completely beholden to uh, the corporation, which is a big advertiser. And we produced this rap song called Kodekanal Won't. Kodekanal Won't step down till you make amends now. This is the story of Kodei's frustration, known to us as the princess of his stations. Unilever came and left devastation as they exposed the land to contamination. Which went viral. So we had nothing story. to do with it. We just produced a video and some, something happened, something clicked and magic happened. So like with most of it, this is the unfortunate thing is that justice happens through magic, not because we have a constitution and laws and court. Unilever swiftly negotiated an out-of-court settlement with past employees of the thermometer plant for an undisclosed amount. They've been protesting exposure to mercury pollution and several other workplace environmental hazards. Unilever's settlement was also the first of its kind. But in Sterlite's case, the court has emphatically ruled in favour of the protesting townsmen after hearing exhaustive submissions by all parties concerned. The protests against Sterlite has been affected by factionalism between the two dominant communities of Tutukudi, the fishermen and the traders. The fishermen are either Paravars, who are Hindus, or Fernandos, who are Christians. 
and the traders are nadas. Activists blame Tamil Nadu's political class and the company for dividing them on caste lines to weaken their fight. I met Ashok J. Suratinam along with Fatima on a recent trip to Tutukudi to report on this issue for Al Jazeera. Ashok was a young 20-year-old when he participated in the protest at sea. He pointed to an innocuous skirmish between friends in 1996 which quickly turned into seething caste clashes. This was months after the successful blockade of the ship and DMK's return to power after Jayalalitha's first term as chief minister. ஒருங்க They are all those who were friends and acquaintances earlier. Ashok then says that this then leads to an attack on one Charles theatre owner. In Tamil, I say, Oh I see it really does sound quite like a fight. First time yaar abhi adikanna Charles theatre urmiyala veetada adikanna. Fatima then explains who Charles is. Speaking in Tamil she says a prominent shopping complex in the city was earlier a cinema theater owned by one Charles Fisher and that he was a Fernando. Until the 1950s Tutukudi was a predominantly fishing community. Nadars began arriving from Virudhunagar and Sivakasi in the 1950s sensing scope for growth and according to Fatima it was not until 1974 when the port arrived that even more communities began arriving in Tutkudi Ashok continues He says what's unfortunate about Sterlite's operations in Tutkudi is that neither Dravida parties can claim innocence here they both have had a hand in bringing Vedanta to our city he says If it was Jayalalitha who invited Sterlite to Tutukudi and laid the foundation stone for the factory's construction, it was Karunanadi who inaugurated the factory once it was completed. And he says, another tragedy is that their legatees are still benefiting from the company. Now their resistance, which is the DMK's resistance, is political opportunism, according to Ashok, which is due to the change of people's perception on the ground against Sterlite. Veteran journalist Ilangovan Rajasekharan, who covered Tutukudi for the Hindu during this volatile period, told me the pressure from the state government on the trader community not to lend support to the protesting fishermen was intense. As early as in 2008, a comprehensive health screening of over 80,000 people living within a 5-kilometer radius of the plant revealed fatal health consequences. 
in the studied population. They studied close to 80,000 people. So it's a significant study. It's not a, a small kind of a sketchy. It's pretty comprehensive with a tens of pages. 80,000 people have been surveyed. And this study found that uh, the local population within the vicinity of influence uh, of uh, Sterlite, uh, there were brain tumors among males that was more than 1,000 times the national average. They found that nervous disorders and deaths due to nervous disorders was in uh, two digits, so not 12.6 or 13.6%. Matters came to a head in 2013 when a massive sulfur dioxide leak from Sterlite led to serious health consequences across the city. On March 24th that year, morning walkers swooned to the ground due to suffocation. Several were hospitalized, unable to even eat. Some vomited what they ate. Number one, respiratory disorders, skin problems, eye problems, burning sensation in the throat, hair fall, and uh, several other things, including cancer. In certain areas of the town, every household has a cancer patient. Despite blaming Sterlite for flouting environmental laws and for the widespread health concerns, the Supreme Court let the copper smelter to operate after paying a fine of 100 crore rupees. But this was a wake-up call to Tutukuri's residents. Several of them, even those who were skeptics earlier, began linking unexplained health disorders to Sterlite's pollution. On my trip to Tutukuri, I met at least three families who had lost loved ones to cancer. A conch trader in his late 30s, Regan, lost his fiancée Melpa to brain tumour when she was all of 23. Four other family members died of either bone or lung cancer. Regan is now active in the Anti-Sterlite People's Movement, an umbrella group of anti-Vedanta organizations founded by Fatima Babu. The central government's decision to double the copper smelter's capacity to 800,000 tonnes per annum alarmed city residents and re-energized the campaign against Vedanta. It led to a unique mobilization of political parties, farmers, traders, fishermen and several other groups. The protests lasted a hundred consecutive days in 2018. It culminated in a march from the city centre to the district collectorate. The police claimed some among the protesters, left-wing extremists, instigated violence against them, forcing them to shoot at protesters, which killed 12 people on May 22, 2018 and one more person died of injuries the next day. The family members of those who died have been given low-paying government jobs. While city residents are relieved following the Madras High Court's order, they are fearful of the outcome of the company's appeal in the Supreme Court. For now though, they speak of being able to breathe more easily. There is one specific thing that we would, all of us would like to uh, talk about is the rains. Deprived of rains all these years. It was like a rarity. But now we had our rains to our fill. The, actually, we were also deprived of drinking water in terms of supply from toward. Mm. All the water would be sold off to them. And right, we used to get right. water, drinking water once in 10 days. Now we are getting water once in three days. I asked what comes next in the anti-Vedanta movement to both Fatima and Nityanand. They have to leave at the earliest but before they leave, they will have to pay for damages that they've done to us in terms right. of health, in terms of environment, laws of livelihood. Yes, you're right. It is there in our minds, deep down in our hearts. Yes, there is one thing 
still not settled. We have to get it done. Is the is the closure permanent or will there be relief down the line? Is something that we will have to see at the Supreme Court. Uh, the company, mm -hmm. of course, will go there with all its guns blazing, uh, claiming that the order was uh, uh, unwarranted. Besides, but assuming that uh, the factory remains shut, there is this whole issue of the legacy of the site, which is the toxic contaminants, contaminants contained within the factory site. The contamination caused outside the factory site in the places where slag was dumped and stored for a very long time. The mm -hmm. groundwater contamination, the long-term health monitoring for uh, surrounding uh, villagers and uh, long-term health rehabilitation and compensation. And besides all these things, there's also the issue of the workers from the factory uh, who have now lost uh, their jobs for no fault of theirs. Uh, these are workers right. who don't have control over whether the factory uh, obeys the law or not. And here's advocate Vaige again, explaining the significance of the August 18th order and how it might impact environmental jurisprudence in India. Usually, litigation before the courts are contested by the party concerned, that is the company, which is the which claims to be the victim of the government action and uh, the government authorities or the regulatory authorities, namely the Pollution Control Board on the other side. The people's voices are not heard in uh, such a strong measure. The records that are produced by the government or the company or the uh, Pollution Control Board are what are relied upon by the court to evaluate whether there's pollution or no pollution. But in this produced by the company, we are very strongly challenged by the people based on scientific facts. And uh, the court has tended to uh, believe or rely upon the facts and the materials that have been produced by the people uh, to challenge the uh, or to rubbish the company's uh, contentions. Therefore, it's very important. The magic in this case was also to get judges who were patient enough to listen to people. Right. That is magic. We know the state of judiciary. And I'm saying that we were, we were lucky to get uh, judges who were interested in listening to the case. There were 42, 42 days of hearing. Yes, not non-stop. It, it was broken in between. But there was 42 days of hearing. Most of it taken by Vedanta and the Pollution Control Board. But respondents, private respondents, the people of Tutukudi were given as much time as they asked for. In closing, I asked Sterlite's CEO, Pankaj Kumar, what the company might do if the Supreme Court ruled in its favor. What I wanted to ask you was, in the eventuality that you could get a favorable order, uh, let's say, from the Supreme Court, do you think you might have the support of the people of Tutukudi, or particularly the residents living around the plant who have been opposed to the company now for decades? Oh, yes. I think uh, there will not be any problem in starting the plant after a favorable order. We have been running for the last 25 years, and the people who are close to the plant in the villages nearby uh, do want the plant to start. Because, you know, if you see that almost uh, the prime, shall we say, the issue today is uh, employment. And almost 50,000 people in the vicinity are suffering because of us. Us means us closed down. And I'm sure they will want the plant to start. The last five years that we've been operating, there has not been a single case of allegation, complaint against our operations. I mean, the nation needs a company like us. 
Anil Agarwal, Vedanta's chairman, has said that the company's losses were $200 million due to the plant's closure in the first year alone. He spoke of how Vedanta had catapulted India into a copper goods exporting nation and that this position has now been reversed. Noya Vaige said quotes the world over attempt to apply a core principle of environmental jurisprudence, which is the principle of sustainable development. She said while courts have held that environmental concerns must go hand in hand with economic interests, often courts lean in favor of economic considerations. But in this case, she said, the court has unequivocally positioned the environment and human health above economic interests. Authoring the judgment, Justice T.S. Sivagyanam, the lead judge on the bench, said, We need to apply the broad principles of environmental jurisprudence, which has been evolved by the Honorable Supreme Court over four decades. And the common thread which runs in all these decisions is to preserve the environment for future intergenerational equity. If there is uncertainty in scientific opinion, it would be appropriate to err on the side of caution. The theory of sustainable development has been eloquently explained, the court went on to say. The conclusion arrived in all Supreme Court decisions is that environmental protection is always at a higher pedestal compared to economic interests. Countering Vedanta's position on the benign use of slag, the court observed, we have also noted that anything in abundance could be dangerous. We have noted that laboratory tests and opinions are rendered on idealistic situations and not in a case where several tons of copper slag have been indiscriminately dumped, left to lie open to the fury of nature for nearly a decade. Therefore, there is definitely a scientific uncertainty on the effects of copper slag. We have no hesitation to hold that the state and the regulator would be well justified in invoking the precautionary principle bearing in mind the aspect of sustainable development. And in closing, it said, the doctrine of sustainable development, precautionary principle, and the polluter pays principle needs to be applied to the case on hand. If applied, facts speak for themselves. The petitioner needs to be closed and permanently sealed. This is Rakesh here, production lead and co-founder of Sunarnia. We want to know what you think about this show. And do let us know how we can make this show better. What are the topics that you want to hear? What are the stories that you feel that we are not covering? We would love to hear from you. Please send a direct message on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. We would love to feature any of your voices in our episodes. You can now check all the episodes of Climate Emergency now on our website www.sunoindia.in or you can listen to it on any other podcasting app of your choice. Thank you.